the second day, I want to be showing you that in Psalm 91, the scripture teaches us in verse 14, that because he has set his love upon me, therefore I will deliver him. That's the Lord talking to us. Because you have set your love upon me, therefore I will deliver you. Okay, so we're going to be talking about how to set your love and the importance of setting your love on him. Or let's put it in a slightly more colloquial uh, language, how to cling on to him in love. Okay, how to cling on to him in love. And I think it's important that we all remember that the promises of Psalm 91, which are extraordinary, incredible uh, uh, protection from pestilence and, and plague and lack and, and from attacks of the enemy and terrors and nightmares and all sorts of things. All those promises, they're not automatic. They're not automatic. There, are, there, are, there is a need, the scripture says, to abide in the secret place of the Almighty. And so when we come into that place, uh, those, those particular blessings come into being. And yesterday I, I began to talk about how abiding really means to rest in him, to rest in his finished work. Okay, so if you're stressing, then you are not under the shadow of his wings. It's a sign that you're not in the secret place. So you want to come out of that place of stress, out of that place of anxiety. If you're being anxious, you've taken on to yourself the responsibility to resolve your problems and to, to save yourself and to protect yourself. But as we know, there are many things, including this virus that's going along uh, around right now, that you know, in your own strength, you have no, no power over that, so to speak. But that is why we need the strength of the Lord. And so the scripture teaches us to rest in those promises and anxiety. Anxiety is a sign from God, really, that you are outside of the, the protective place, the secret place. It's a way to alarm you and uh, alert you quickly, get back into that place. And you know when you're in that place because literally you, 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 you come into that place of rest when you're at peace. Okay, when you're at peace, trusting in God, trusting in what Christ has done for you, then literally... Um, those promises manifest upon you, okay? You've cast your cares upon him, and now he's caring for you. So his power has now become available to you. So these promises aren't automatic. First of all, you need to learn to abide or to rest in him, to sit in him, okay? And secondly, you need to learn to confess the word. Because Psalm 91, the second verse says, I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God in him will I trust. And so here the psalmist is talking, he's speaking. And I think this is absolutely vital. I've said it other times that, you know, the word of God was first uh, spoken, not to communicate, but to create. When God said, let there be light, light became, light was. Okay, so it created, he wasn't really communicating with anyone. He was, through his word, creating something. So the spoken word has power. And that's really important right now. It's not the time to be silent. It's not the time to sit back. Resting in God isn't about being passive and silent. Resting in God is about having a, a, on your inside a sense of peace and calm. And then speaking out into the outside world, into the storm, from the inside. So we speak over our children. We speak over our households. Don't just sit there in some sort of laid back, you know, uh, uh, 
I don't know, a, a, a passive state. No, 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 no. This is the time to stand up and say, my household is blessed. My family is blessed. No plague shall come here. Uh, my finances are protected. I'm going to prosper in this. But you need to speak it out as heads of your households and as members of your households. Okay. So those two things are vital for the, for the, um, for the blessings of God to take place and manifest in your life. But here in verse 14, we're reading also that because you have set your love upon me, therefore God will deliver you. And so there's a need for us to set our love upon him or cling to him. Now, we have to be careful here because so often people return to the law, to rules and regulations. And it's like, okay, you've got to really, really love God. And only if you really, really love God will these blessings manifest upon you. And of course, loving God um, is absolutely vital. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 16 and 22, if anyone does not love the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be accursed rather than let him be blessed. Remember, there's blessings and there's cursings. If blessings is healing and health and prosperity, cursing is the opposite. So the loving God is vital. But the, the, the main question here is that the New Testament doesn't emphasize the fact that you need to love God. It emphasizes the fact that God loves you. And out of that love that you experience from God, you find your own heart responding. Okay, And so, but the more you understand the love of God for you, the more your heart will respond in love to him. Okay, So it's that way around. It's not like we get his love because we really force our way through our own love. No, no, no. To the contrary, actually. He loves us and loves us and loves us. And out of that, love is born in, in our own hearts. First John 4 and 10 says, In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins, okay? So our love for God, and when it's saying here, because he set his love upon me, me, our love for God is not a commandment, but rather a spontaneous response to his love for us, okay? So you always need to read the Old Testament through a New Testament lens. Otherwise, you can fall back into law, you can fall back into a list of rules and regulations and commandments, and we know as soon as you have commandments, then none of us is gonna live up to them. We're all gonna fall short, and therefore we're not gonna be in the place of faith, okay? So we need to, to get that, okay? And really today I'm gonna to show you, you're gonna cling on in love to God when you understand and when you believe how much you are loved by God, okay? So all these blessings and the protection is not something obtained by your own righteousness. No, no, no. It's something you receive because of his righteousness. It's not because of your goodness. It's because of his goodness that protection comes. Now, as an example of this, the first point I want to make tonight is um, that I want to show you an example of a man who was much loved by God in the Old Testament, and his name was Daniel. And here, in chapter 10 and 19, the scripture says, the angel said to Daniel, O man greatly beloved, fear not. Peace be to you, be strong, yes, be strong. So here, the angel is relaying a message from God that Daniel is much loved, that he is greatly, not just beloved, but greatly loved by God. And on the back of that, 
the angel says, peace be to you, be strong, yes, be strong. So when you know that you're loved, then you have peace. Isn't that right? Uh, and when you have peace, you, ha you become strong. That's how the process works, okay? So the more you understand you are loved by God, the more peace you will have, okay? And the more peace you have, the stronger and bolder, more courageous you will be. Now, let let's just think about the story of Daniel or part of it. Um, we know that the king at the time was a man called Darius. He had split his kingdom into 120 uh, uh, states and each one of them had governors. And then above these 120 governors, he had established three uh, superior ministers who oversaw them. And Daniel was one of these three. And the scripture says he had an excellent spirit. So he was the best of them all. And, and Darius wanted him really to lead the others. But classic to human nature, the others were jealous of Daniel. And... So they constantly gave bad reports of him to the king and they tried to work out a way that they could um, have Daniel brought down, okay, and, and uh, not be appointed as the kind of lead minister of the day. And they discovered that Daniel had a custom of praying three times a day in his tower and opening the windows and kneeling and facing towards Jerusalem. And so... In a very malicious way, they uh, suggested to the king to pass a law that nobody could pray to uh, any other entity or any other god except to the king. And that by doing that, they were trying to get Daniel to fall into a trap so that he would break the law. And, you know, in those days, kings, when they passed, when they made edicts, okay, they were unbreakable. They were immutable. Kings make edicts, governors make decrees, okay? And decrees can be changed, but an edict in those days was sealed by the signet ring of the king and it was immutable, that was unchangeable. And in some ways, a reflection of God's law. When God makes a law, it becomes unchangeable. And this is the glory of Christ. He didn't come to change the law. God can't break his word. It's established forever. But Christ came to fulfill the law, to complete the law, okay? So in some ways, that is a reflection. And likewise with Darius, he made the law and he couldn't change it, okay? And, but of course, Daniel, when he heard that he was no longer allowed to pray to the true God, it, it didn't stop him for a minute, it didn't change what he did. It didn't, he didn't change his daily routine. He was a guy who loved to pray to God, no doubt study the word and so forth. And so he just kept on doing what uh, he always uh, used to do. And that's really interesting because today's a day when there's lots of people giving so many reports on the world and how bad things are. And so many believers are changing their routine. But men and women of God, they stay consistent. They continue doing what they always do. No matter if people threaten them, no matter if the economy breaks down, no matter what's going on, they continue in their lifestyle of faith. Okay, so that's one of the chief characteristics of a man of God. Now, coming back to the Daniel story, the king was sad because he liked Daniel, uh, but he couldn't change his law. And so the scripture says that he prayed the whole night trying to find a way out to get Daniel out of this situation. But judgment came. And as you know, he was cast into the lion's den. And that night, as the king prayed, he couldn't work out a way to get him out of the den. And the, the den was sealed by a great stone, which was then sealed itself. 
And the next morning, early morning, Darius the king runs to the den and was delighted and surprised to find that Daniel was alive. And uh, they have this incredible conversation. And in verse 20 of Daniel chapter 6, the scripture says, And when he came to the den, he cried out with a lamenting voice to Daniel. The king spoke, saying, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God has sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths so that they have not hurt me because I was found innocent before him. And also, O king, I have done no wrong before you. Now the king was exceedingly glad for him and commanded that they should take Daniel up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no injury whatever was found on him because he believed in his God. And there's a real key right at the end of that passage. All this protection came to Daniel simply because he believed, okay? He had faith in his God. He had this intimacy of faith, let's call him. And therefore, the protection of heaven was upon him in a really, really dangerous situation, okay? Because there were lions around. Now, these are real, real living beasts, okay, that were famished that wanted to de normally devour a person and we know that God supernaturally intervened with angels and supernatural power to shut the mouths of the lions and we know that was the case because as soon as Daniel was removed from the den and his accusers were placed in the den in his place uh, verse 24 says and the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces before they ever came to the bottom of the den. So these are real lions, real, uh, the real deal, really hungry. And so, like I say, it was a supernatural intervention just uh, uh, because Daniel was much loved. He believed in God. He was much loved. He believed in that love of God. And so God supernaturally gets involved in people's lives and protects them from things that devour other people in real ways. And of course, we're studying Psalm 91. And in here in verse 13, it says, you shall tread upon the lion and the cobra, the young lion and the serpent you tr shall trample underfoot. So this is one of the very promises of the Psalm, okay? that even lions' mouths will be shut because of his protection upon you. So if God can shut the mouths of lions, if God can overcome a mighty beast like a, a lion, certainly he can overcome a virus. Certainly whatever. You know, the, the, this is a great example of God's protection for the people that he loves, okay? So remember this, just as we finish that first point. Fear should not change you. Just because everybody else is fearful, mm, that shouldn't change you. You get up in the morning, you praise the Lord, you read your Bible, you walk in peace, okay? Threats shouldn't change you, okay? Continue what you're doing, okay? Um, you know, to be in the shadow, when you're in the shadow of God's wings, that talks of intimacy with God. That talks of relationship. We get these blessings not because uh, we've followed a set of formula, okay? But because we have intimacy, uh, it's the same with marriage. You get the blessings of marriage, not because you tick certain boxes, not because, you know, you, you, you press certain buttons, but when you show your love, when you're intimate 
then the other person responds, okay? So we have intimacy with God. We're in his shadow. We're close to him. Now, the second main point is you begin to love genuinely, really, truly, when you know and believe that you are much loved. And I think it's really important to stress those two things. First John 4 and 16 says, And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God, and God in him. Okay? It's one thing to know that you're loved. It's another thing to believe that you're loved. You know, you can tell somebody consistently, I love you. So they know that. Uh, you can say it over and over again. I love you. I love you. I love you. But so often people don't believe that. Wives don't believe their husbands when they say, I love you. Mm? Children don't believe their parents when they say that I love you. Okay? The parent might say it over and over again. But the ch it doesn't really sink in deep. But it needs to sink in deep, okay? Because it's only when you know and you believe, okay, that, that your life is transformed. You come into that place of rest, okay? When you believe that you are loved, like a, you know, when you know that somebody glorious and powerful really, really loves you, then you know that that person wouldn't allow an evil thing to come upon you. He certainly wouldn't throw coronavirus at you if you, you know, if, if he was a lover, if you believe in his love, why would he do that? You know, I wouldn't do that to my children. So why would God to do that to his children? Okay. So we're not loved because of our perfection though. And this is really important because people think they have to earn God's love. No, you get God's love simply by faith. Okay. Hallelujah. God loves us whatever, but the love manifests in us and through us in forms like protection when you respond to that love. Okay, so he loves us because we're children, but he also loves unbelievers. Okay, They're, they were created, all of us human beings were created as objects of his love. That, you know, but unbelievers have yet to know and believe the love of God and therefore they're not experiencing that love. But it doesn't mean to say that God doesn't love them. He's waiting for them to come to him and to experience all these blessings that he has. 1 John 4 and 17 says, Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. Now, often we think of the day of judgment in terms of the last day when the Lord comes back and judges all the nations and, and so forth. But actually, this could well be applied to days of crisis and problems like we're having today. And some people even think that God is judging the world today. This is because of sin in the world. But whether you believe that or not, we have good news. And that is that you are in Christ. Therefore, you can be bold in this time of crisis. Okay, God put his judgment for our sins upon Christ. And therefore, there's no judgment for us. It's like the picture of the ark of Noah. You know, judgment came to the world, but those who are inside of the ark were protected. And the ark points to Christ. So even if you believe, and I don't, that this is the judgment of God, you can still have boldness if you're in Christ, because it won't touch you. Christ died in your place. Christ was judged in your place. Okay, so... The reality is, if you're in Christ, then you are safe. 
Why? Not because of your perfection, but because of your position in Christ, okay? And Christ pleases God. So if you're in Christ, God has no judgment for you, my friend, okay? He just has blessing for you. You don't need to fear. You can be bold today. You can walk around boldly. You don't need to panic. You don't need to be anxious. You don't drive down the road worrying that, you know, sickness is going to leap upon you. No, you can be bold, okay? And continuing this verse, this chapter, 1 John 4 and 18, there is no fear in love because perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. If you're still fearful, it's because you haven't been made perfect in love, okay? Or let me put it this way, if you're still, feel, still, still fearful, you haven't understood and believed how much you are loved yet. Fear is a sign that you haven't really understood the gospel, haven't really known God yet as he really is. Because if you really knew him, then you would sleep in the storm, so to speak. You would rest, okay? But anxiety shows that love hasn't perfected you yet. It hasn't been, the work hasn't been completed inside of you, okay? But the way that fear is cast out is by meditating more and more upon the love of God, okay? That's why we dwell in, that's why we, we, we abide in the scripture, in the word, okay? Because the word constantly tells us about the love of God. And you see, the world's constantly telling you how much you should fear and how much you should be afraid and all these deals that are going on. And most people listen more to the world than they do to the word. Most people listen more to the politicians than they do to the pastors, more to the, to the professionals than they do to the preachers. And that's why they're full of fear, okay, rather than full of love, which casts out fear. But the more you meditate upon this wonderful work of Jesus Christ on the cross, the more you realize you're loved and therefore you're in a place of complete peace, hallelujah, which produces these wonderful, wonderful blessings. Amen. Scripture says in the following verse, we love him because he first loved us. So why do we love him? Because he first loved us. Because he first loved us. So your love is a response to his love for you. Don't try and love God first. Okay. Meditate upon how much you are loved and you'll become a lover of God. All right. Um, all love, genuine love, agape love is born only when you realize how unconditionally you are loved by God. Okay. See, until you, love, until you know you're loved unconditionally by God, then you will never love unconditionally. You'll love people conditionally in a very superficial way. But when you know, for example, that you've been forgiven of all of your sins, then you are able, you're in a position to forgive, to forgive other people their sins against you, their trespasses against you. But you've got to receive that first. You've got to know about that. You've got to believe in that first. That has to be a deep work inside of you. And remember that if you don't have that, then you're in a place of fear. You're in a place of anxiety. And all those things drive you to an early grave, cause you to make the wrong decisions, take you outside of the covenant protection, don't allow the supernatural to manifest in your life. So really, you just need to relax and meditate. This is so important today. You know, like I said, these are real promises, but you need to be in an intimate place with the Lord. And these days of crisis is not a time. It's not a time for you just to be sitting back and watching Netflix movies all day long on repeat. Please. This is a real situation. There are real lions out there. People are dying, you know. So you need to be in intimacy with God. But the joy is 
Uh, to be in intimacy, we get to meditate upon his word and about how much he loves us. Now, mm. that's just fantastic thing to be doing in your day is getting up and just meditating upon the word. I mean, you get up in the morning and you meditate upon the word of God. There's, you know, it's just the most wonderful thing, better than breakfast, better than coffee. Of course it is. You open up the scripture and he begins to speak to you and reveal how much he loves you and the grace of God for you. And you become so strong in the spirit and so full of life. And, you know, you, 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 your horizons open right up and you realize that you're an eternal being, that your future is secure, that your name's written in the Lamb's book of life, that God is with you, this incredible, wonderful, eternal God. And, and imagine you fill yourself up with those thoughts first thing in the morning. Imagine how you live out your day. Because remember, your beliefs determine your behavior. Yeah. And if you're full of that kind of belief, you're going you know, to live a full life, which is exactly what God has for you. But if you're full of fear and worry, you get up in the morning and just read from the main media, that will make your life small, I tell you. You won't want to, you know, you'll be too afraid to do anything great. But we who meditate upon the love of God have an incredible boldness in the Holy Spirit. Amen. And in times of crisis, we're not paralyzed by fear. In fact, we are now propelled by faith to do something great to reveal God's glory. This time of sickness, we're going to see healing power released. This time of fear, we're going to preach faith. We're going to see the church advance. Hallelujah. So this is really, you know, uh, the, the, the greatest hour. But my point is this, fill yourself up on the word and, and the word of Christ, the word of love. Amen. And don't just fill yourself up at breakfast time. Fill, like Daniel, fill yourself up three times a day. Amen. And you'll find yourself just full of faith all the day through. Amen. So um, you need to know and believe. And God, God has proved, the scripture says God has proved his love for us. In that, Christ died for us, even whilst we were sinners. And I say in my book, Seven Good Things, I, I talk about there how, um, you know, God loves us. when If God loves us when we were sinners, imagine his love for us now. Wow. Do, do, do you get it? Um, you know, God's love for us, I say, is much more than just an emotion, just much more than a feeling. You know, some, some lovers say to their, their, their loved one, they say, I love you, I love you, I love you. Why? Because they're feeling sort of butterfly feelings on the inside here. I love you. I love you. But that's really an emotion, hmm? you know, or an attraction, something like that. It's a superficial level of love. As soon as a problem comes and the feelings go, then there's no love left. They're out of there. Well, that's not God's kind of love. Hmm? And... Uh, and God's love actually is, not, is, is more than words as well. Even though the word of God shows his love. The Bible says God proves his word in a sense. He puts actions to his words. He puts feet to his words. How? By sending his son Jesus Christ to die for us. When you die for somebody, that shows you really love them. Would you agree? Mm. The husband who dies for his wife... You know, the wife, let's say, deserves to die, okay? And the husband who says, no, don't kill her, kill me in her place. Now, that's love. Wow. Do, do you follow? The, the, the husband who says, I want to be punished in her place, or I want to receive the bullet in the place. That's real. That's an action. Or the parent who does it for a child, don't kill him, kill me. That's the proof of love. It's an action. 
Now, the scripture says you might do that for somebody who's righteous, who's good. You might do it for a wife, a spouse. You might do it for a son. But Christ proved his love for us when, because he died for us when we were sinners, when we were his enemies on the cross, when people were spitting at him and cursing him. Uh, he died for those ones, the enemies as well. Now, that's a different kind of love. Okay. And those are the sorts of things that we need to, to meditate upon. When you know how much you're loved, then your heart begins to respond back. The thief on the cross heard Jesus say, forgive them, Father, they know not what they're doing. And that conquered his heart in the last seconds of his life. And he said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. So you've got to meditate. You've got to hear this word day in, day out. Many people have never heard how much they're loved by God. Or they've heard it in a kind of bland, superficial way, you know, but we're here to say, please believe how much you're loved. Look at the cross, see Jesus dying there, and then you'll know how much you're loved really, really, truly. When you know that, it will drive out all fear from you and you'll become bold in times of crisis. Amen. And so the scripture says in Revelation 2 and 4, nevertheless, and this is Jesus correcting his church. He says, nevertheless, I have this against you that you have left your first love. Now, very often that scripture has been misapplied, let's say, by well-intentioned preachers. Um, you know, we've said things like, you've got to love God more. You've got to, you know, worship more. You've got to show God more of your love. But in the end, the more we say that to people, the more we're causing people to go back to the law. And of course, the first commandment is that we should love God with all of our hearts. But genuinely and honestly, how many of us really do that? I mean, do you fulfill that commandment of loving God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength? Uh, who, who amongst us is able to do that? No one. Uh, so in other words, by telling people you've got to love God, you've got to love God, all you're doing is, is making people condemned because they realize, well, I can't do that. And when you feel condemned, you don't have faith. Uh, so when Jesus corrected his church and said to them, You've left your first love. He wasn't saying that you have got to go back to your first love for him. He's saying you've got to go back to remember the first love of God for you. He loves you first. Meditate upon that and you'll find that the springs of love start gushing up inside of you again. Okay? Meditate on much. I know people who, who beat themselves up because they feel that they don't love God enough. They beat themselves up because they feel they don't pray enough. They beat themselves up because they, don't feel, they feel they don't read the word enough or, or fast enough and they're not radical enough. And, they be, and they're always setting these high standards that they break every day and they end up feeling worse. Forget all that, okay? Just meditate upon his love for you. And then you'll find out of a spontaneous voluntary heart, you'll want to pray. You'll want to read the word. You'll want to fast. You'll want to seek after him. Hallelujah. Okay. So, you know, that's absolutely vital. Now, thirdly, and we're bringing this to a close here. God loves us in the same way that God the Father loves God the Son. And this is absolutely glorious. Jesus did so much because he, Jesus did so much because uh, he knew how much he was loved. He overcame all challenges and all criticisms. Um, and we know that there are two moments in Christ's life where God speaks to him 
from heaven, God the Father, speaks to the Son in an audible way, extraordinary way, and says, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. The first time was on the day of his baptism, you will remember, and he was baptized in the River Jordan, which interestingly is the lowest, the, the lowest point on planet Earth. It leads into the Dead Sea, which many of you know is a salt sea with such a high percentage of salt that you can't really be submerged into the sea. You literally sit on top of the water there. And that's because it's so low in the ground and there's no exit point for that sea. And so it's the lowest point on earth. Christ was baptized there. The other place he heard the words, uh, uh, this is my beloved son, was when he was up on the Mount of Transfiguration. And that was the highest point in Israel. And so in those two moments, the highest and the lowest, or the lowest and the highest, God said to him, I love you, son. And I believe that's symbolic because he wants us to know that he loves us no matter what. He loves us at our highest moments, our most spiritual moments, when we're praying and fasting and worshiping and our hearts are going full after him. But he also loves us in our lowest moments when you're feeling down and out or, you know, don't worry, the love of God for you is consistent. Meditate upon that. He doesn't love you because of your performance, okay? He doesn't love you because of your righteousness. No, no, no. He loves you because you're in Christ. He loves you because now you're a son of God. Hallelujah. And this is the central part of the gospel, really. It's the gospel message is about the love of God. And the gospel tells us of the incredibly high price that God, through Christ, has paid for us. And so this love that God has for his son, and just think how much that love is, okay? Literally, it's the same for you and for me. I want to finish up with a couple of verses here. John 17 and 23 says, I in them and you in me, Jesus talking here, that they may be made perfect in one, that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as much as you have loved me. Uh, that you have loved them in exactly the same way as you have loved me. Have you ever stopped to think how much God loves his son Jesus? Mm. Wow. Well, then apply that to yourself now, okay? Apply that to yourself. That's how much. Did God, did God look after Jesus at every moment? You say, but Jesus died. Yeah, but he was born to die to take away sin. But until then, did Jesus get sick? No, God looked after him. Did Jesus lack for anything? No, God looked after him, okay? Wherever he went, whether he traveled, you know, to Galilee, down to Jerusalem, you know, and people couldn't touch him until his hour had come. They tried to throw him off a cliff and he disappeared into the crowd, you know, things like that. So God protected, God provided, okay, until he'd finished his course down here on earth. And exactly the same, if God did that for his son, he'd do it for you as well, okay? So just remember this, you're loved not because you behave well, okay? In fact, in a sense, you'll only really understand the love of God when you behave badly and yet still believe that God loves you. Sometimes my sons, uh, they're here tonight, sometimes they don't behave exactly as I, as I would like, but that doesn't stop me from loving them, that doesn't stop me from accepting them, that doesn't stop me from providing for them or wanting the best for them, protecting them, of course not. Uh, I'm there constantly despite that, ready to bless them, okay? So just finishing off here, I want you to 
think of on, on this last thought. Jesus would never ask us to do something that he himself is not disposed to do. And here in Philippians 2 and 3, the scripture says, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Jesus is asking us to do that, to esteem others better than himself. And that is because he also is disposed to do that. He was disposed to esteem you higher than himself. Okay? He loves you. He, you're precious in his eyes. Okay? And so it's important these days that you meditate upon that love. And out of that, you're going to find yourself clinging on more to Christ, loving him back, okay? just as the psalmist says. And because of that, lion's mouths are going to be shut. Okay? Sickness won't be able to come near you. Okay? God, the, the, God will, will provide for all of your needs. Psalm 91 will, will become a reality for you. Remember, it's not just an automatic thing. I sometimes go to houses and find Bibles open at the door and a sort of stand open to Psalm 91. But just because there's a Bible open doesn't make these promises real in your life. No, 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 no. Okay? We abide. We rest in the secret place of the Most High. We speak out. We declare that he is with us to protect us, okay? And here, we respond in love, we cling on to him. He embraces us and we embrace him back. That talks of intimacy. When you have those things happening in your life, please be sure, okay? You can be bold, nothing evil shall befall you these days of crisis. In fact, to the contrary, good things are gonna happen. God's gonna use you mightily to be a blessing, to be a shining light in this darkness. Amen. Well, God bless you. We're so glad you could be with us today. 